Welcome to the Aristia podcast, where experts talk about excellence. Our podcast format includes a young professional early in their career talking to an expert for academic and industry insights. At some point, uh, we turn the tables around where the expert asks the young professional about their agonies, dreams, and aspirations about the field. In today's podcast, our young actress, Maddalena Papadatu uh, from uh, American Academy of Dramatic Arts is going to ask questions to writer-director Evan Spilotopoulos. Maddalena, go ahead. Oh, hi, Evan. Hi, Maddalena. Uh, very nice to meet you. Same here. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. You're welcome. So my very first question to you is, in your career course, what would you consider as the major steps? Um, excellent question, because it really, there's a saying that no overnight success took one night. It took 10 years. Um, it's a series of things. I think, first of all, it was moving to LA. Uh, if you want to pursue screenwriting or motion picture work of any kind, LA is primarily the place to be. Television work or theater, you can go to Chicago, you can go to New York, of course, but movies, it's LA. Um, mm -hmm. And once I moved here, I took about five years of um, working in the absolute <laughs> bottom of the industry. Um, the second step for me, though, was when Walt Disney hired me, when uh, Disney Toons mm -hmm. specifically, a division, uh, did animated films uh, for theatrical and straight to video uh, distribution. Uh, brought me aboard because once Disney hires you, you basically have gotten a stamp of approval from one of the biggest studios in town. So all of a sudden, you, the doors to all the other studios pretty much open. Then it was selling a uh, script called The Last Call, a science fiction movie, live action, Universal. So that was my first break into live action, the live action world with another studio outside of Disney. The next step after that was Hercules, which was my first produced big budget MGM Paramount uh, Studio worldwide theatrical release. Then was Beauty and the Beast, which was my first blockbuster studio release. And finally, as of now, most recently, was The Unholy, which was my first job as a director. Oh, wow. How was that? Uh, I mean, I writing shot, and directing. I shot it in the middle of the pandemic, so it was an absolute nightmare. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be that way. We did not know what was about to happen. Uh, but we started shooting it actually in uh, outside of Boston. Uh, we shot it mm -hmm. in a town called Sudbury, an hour uh, north of Boston. We started shooting February 16th, and we shut down March 16th because of the pandemic. We, that was four weeks into a seven-week shoot, so we still had three weeks to go. We all came home and locked ourselves down for five months. Uh, we had the unique uh, circumstance of uh, editing the movie virtually. My editor was at home, I was at home, and we edited the movie. Uh, we showed it to the studio, and what, what I need to really underline with this one is our budget was, the to total budget of the movie was $10 million. Mm -hmm. uh, it was for, for Screen Gems, which is a subsidiary of Sony Pictures. $10 million is basically the catering budget for Spider-Man. So they could easily, they had spent, when we shut down, $8 million already. They could easily have taken a tax write-off. But because we had the opportunity to edit half the movie for them, they really liked what they saw, and they felt we needed to finish. So in mid-September, talking 2020, mm -hmm. mid-September 2020, we assembled uh, the, the uh, cast again. We assembled 95% of the crew 
in Massachusetts. The studio gave us extra weeks because the health parameters that we had to follow now that we were coming back since the pandemic was still very active, uh, slowed us down. And so we used to shoot 12 hour days. Now we were shooting 10 hour days. So every day we would lose two hours. Also, after every in interior take, we had to hose down the set with antiseptic spray, which took 10 minutes each time we did it, which was another two hours. So each day we were losing four hours. So at the end of the week, you had lost 20 hours, basically. You had lost uh, two shooting days. So in order oh, no. for us to be able to finish the movie, they gave us two extra weeks. We successfully finished the film. Uh, to drive you even crazier, two of our major cast members were trapped because of the pandemic. Uh, Diogo Morgado, a great Portuguese actor, could not leave Lisbon. Kerry Always mm -hmm. was uh, in Scotland. So what we had to do was uh, what's known as blue screen. So basically we pulled down a big blue screen, a big green screen, both those mm -hmm. things. We had to shoot our cast in Sudbury with a blank spot where the other actor was. And then when we wrapped in Massachusetts, came back to LA, we had arranged for a virtual shoot with Diogo in Lisbon and Carrie in Los Angeles, where basically they were behind a blue or green screen. We filmed their scenes, picked them up on the computer and comped them in to the final image. So we have scenes where literally we have a scene around the table where the three actors are not in the same room. And this is- Oh my God, this is so hard. Oh yeah. And this is stuff that uh, The Mandalorian does all the time. This is stuff that a big budget Marvel movie would do all the time. This is not what a $10 million movie does. So uh, that was a very long-winded answer to your question, how was it? It was not easy. Mm. Yeah, I see that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so my other question is like, what made you want to become a screenwriter? And when did you realize you had the passion for screenwriting? I, the story that my parents told me was that when I was about, let's say, two or three years old, they took me to see mm -hmm. an animated movie in Greece, Asterix and Obelix. And unlike other kids, I stayed quiet during the movie. But the minute the movie was over, I started throwing a fit to the point where the theater, actually the manager actually gave me, you know, the lobby cards? Uh, that's mm -hmm. the, the pictures of the movie that are, are outside the theater for people to, yeah, they had to give them to me and to shut me up. So apparently I must have fallen in love with movies at the time. Now, the reason I got into screenwriting specifically is because I always like to write. So growing up, I really, really liked to write. And um, I, I like to watch movies and I like to write. So it was a natural marriage of the two. Um, I studied screenwriting. I got a master's degree in screenwriting. I don't recommend it because nobody cares. Uh, all it did was kind of give me an education into the history of cinema and the forms of screenwriting, uh, the formats and all that. But I encourage anyone who might be listening who wants to be a screenwriter. The American Film mm -hmm. Institute has listed the 100 best screenplays ever written uh, online, and you can find most of them online. So just find that list, find those scripts, read those 100 screenplays, and you will have saved yourselves the money for a master's degree in screenwriting. Oh, this is a um, perfect piece of advice, actually. You're welcome. And so that was that. And um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough when I came to LA, I had written a portfolio of about six or seven screenplays, and uh, I had won a few, like you know, festival awards for them. So that gave me like a little bit of attention, and that was it. I started sending them out, and you know, uh, another thing that people might not know in Hollywood is that you, as a working writer, are probably going to get ten percent of your own movies made, and the other ninety percent of work mm -hmm. you're going to get are going to be assignments. Like your 
but your writing is basically a sample to get hired by a studio that already has a movie, a property, a something that they need a writer to work on. So that's, that's been the case in my career. It's been 90% assignments, 10% originals. Okay. So my other question is, what according to you is the best part of, of your job, like the most interesting one and the least exciting? Uh, I can answer the least exciting easily. It's if you're just a writer and you're not a, the director or a producer, mm -hmm. it's being on set. Um, there oftentimes you got nothing to do. And as anybody who's been on set, by the way, that's great. If you're the writer mm -hmm. on set and you've got nothing to do, that's fantastic because it means everything's running along. If you're the writer on set and you've got a ton of stuff to do, there's a problem because it means you're rewriting on the fly and the movie's got a problem. Um, but if you've got nothing to do, uh, for anyone who's been on set, it's tedious. Like it's all moving lights. It's, it's, that's what movie making is. It's, it's uh, two hours of moving lights for 20 minutes of action. Um, so that's the worst. Uh, the best part is the ability to be able to just write your own universes. I mean, when you're working on a script before it goes into production, you're basically the master of that universe. Uh, anything you say goes. And then after the, the script is delivered, you get notes from the studio, you get notes from the producer, the director, sometimes the actors, um, notes dealing with budget. So then your vision kind of gets sometimes compromised, sometimes um, watered down, sometimes improved. But it, when you're writing, that's awesome. The other great thing about it is working with the other creative people in the industry, working with the directors, working with the actors, working with the producers. Uh, that interaction is fantastic. The final great thing is I totally enjoy the research. So for instance, if I'm writing a story that took, uh, years ago I was writing a story that took place at the uh, Maryland at the Baltimore uh, racetracks. I traveled up to Baltimore and scoped out the racetracks. And just being able to do that and bring that reality of what you observe and what you discovered into your screenplay, it's fun. Okay, that's interesting. So this is a question that I like, I really want to know the answer. Mm -hmm. So have you ever reached that point in your career that you said to yourself, you know, Evan, this is enough. I can't take it anymore. I want to quit. But oh, you didn't. God. You know, all the time. And if yes, when was that? <laughs> yeah, I think most like artists, they, you know, they get to this point that they feel that they cannot do it anymore and they keep yep. going. So when was that? And like, if you had like this like turning point when you were like, I cannot do this anymore. And then something happens and everything, you know, changes. Ah, so... It happens on every single movie. It happens on every movie. It's what, once you've given, once you've given it your all in the screenplay or specifically with the unholy, once you've given your all as directing, you're spent. Like after the movie wraps, you're like a dead battery. Uh, and of course you take a break and of course you take a vacation, all that. What you, the reason you keep doing it is because something else will come along and re-inspire you. So in the case of, you know, after Beauty and the Beast, it was like, okay, we, we at the time had the ninth biggest grossing movie of all time. I think maybe eight, something like that. It, it broke the top 10. Mm -hmm. And after that, you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm done, I'm spent. And then what appealed to me was uh, Charlie's Angels. Um, Elizabeth Banks came with a story about rebooting, completely rebooting Charlie's Angels, so she had a great idea. And I was like, wow, that's very different from Beauty and the Beast. Um, and so that was that. It was an opportunity to go from a, from a musical fairy tale 
to a high octane action film with three female stars, or if you had Elizabeth, so. Okay. And, you know, people say that it's difficult to define excellence, but when you see it, you know it. What do you look for when you explore potential collaboration? You know, the best way to answer that is actually with the casting experience um, on Unholy. Now, I've been fortunate enough to, not many writers are invited into casting, and on Hercules, I was. And so I got the whole experience of what do you look for in actors, um, what do you look for in actors for a specific part, and for an ensemble, such as after Dwayne Johnson, everybody else in the cast was an ensemble cast, you're also looking at combining the chemistries of the various cast members. And in Unholy, you had the lead was Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and then right underneath him was an ensemble. And what you were looking for is basically that spark of reality. Like, uh, there's a lot of great actors, and there's a lot of talent. And so it's picking who is the perfect person for that particular role isn't just a matter of they look right and look, they've got great credits and they, um, they give a good reading. It's not that, it's, it's those three plus, do they feel authentic? And, and the example that I'll give you is in Unholy, we broke a new actress, Cricket Brown, who had never acted on film before. She had done an off-Broadway play and some shorts and she had zero credits. She gave a great audition, but what really stood out was how real she felt. Like this was supposed to be a, um, uh, a young woman in uh, the middle of nowhere, Massachusetts. She couldn't be glamorous, but she had to have a charisma. And you were looking for somebody who would be absolutely believable as somebody who lives in a town like that and hasn't escaped to Boston, but who also has a magnetism that's gonna draw the movie around her. And that's kind of what you're looking for, I guess. It's truth. Okay. Who would you say that they were the most important mentors that you helped you shape your career and how they did it? Um, I've been fortunate to have a few. I guess the first one would have been the great screenwriter, Nick Kazan, uh, who before I ever got a job, before I ever got a produce credit, agreed to get on the phone with me off like a letter and give me advice on how to guide my career and what to do in writing and all that good stuff. Um, after that, uh, my agents, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, like the relationship that writers have with their representatives at any given time can be very um, fluid. But when I was starting out, uh, I had two very good uh, agents and managers who I still have with me and they kind of like taught me the business side of things. Um, beyond that, I, um, you know, I think I'm going to go just with those basically for now because I can't think of anybody else. Okay. And what do you say to yourself to make you going in a tough day? Uh, I think of the paycheck. We get paid very well. Oh, okay. Yeah. I could do that too. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could travel back in time, what would you advise your young self? Yes, to relax a little bit. I mean, the problem is you can't relax when you haven't done it yet because you're, you're always going to wonder, will you be able to do it? So I don't know how things would have turned out differently if I had told myself to relax. I think maybe the constant tension, constant striving obviously helped. Um, but assuming that everything would end up the same, I would tell my younger self to relax because it does work out. Yeah, it helps you concentrate and find your center and everything. Yeah, yes. I get it. And my last question, 
is in a perfect setting. Before you continue, I want to interrupt you, but if yes, this sure. is your last question, you're just giving me more time to question you. So you might Okay, you know, that. I have like a plenty. No, no, no. I have like so. <laughs> um, so, you know, so tell me some of the challenges of you faced throughout your career and how did you overcome them? Uh, excellent question. Um, Thank budget. you. Budget. So budget. When you're working, I start off on uh, Sci-Fi Channel movies, and this is before <laughs> the Sci-Fi Channel was spelled differently. That's how old, that's how long ago I was working on uh, those movies. And they, at the time, had a monster of the month kind of uh, movie edict where they basically would make these million dollar, half a million dollar movies. And all of a sudden you realize that, you know, half a million dollars for a movie with visual effects is not a lot of money. It's in general, not a lot of money, but if you're doing a drama, yeah, you can do it. If it's actors in a room, in a coffee shop, in you know, tight locations, half a million, you can, that's a festival movie. If you're doing a science fiction film that requires visual effects and monster makeup, a million dollars is nothing. So mm -hmm. that the first challenge was figuring out how to write an effective screenplay with very, very limited funds. The second challenge was figuring out how to write an effective screenplay with limitless funds. So once you get to the, the studio level, you're talking about over 70, 80, 100, $150 million budgets. And at that point, there is a danger of creativity becoming unfocused. Like if you're able to do anything visually, um, you, that's a temptation. And what you need to do is, is discipline your thoughts to basically serve the theme, serve the characters and serve the story. So it is a challenge in a way. Um, beyond that, it's, it's actually dealing with personalities. I mean, I, I have been extremely fortunate in the business to have only met very, very few people who are difficult. But I bring that up because any art form, collaborative art form, be it movies, music, theater, or, or whatever, or television, when a lot of creative personalities are thrown into a room, sometimes sparks fly and sometimes the sparks fly towards each other. I have been very fortunate not to have, I've witnessed it, but I haven't been the brunt of it. So it's, the difficulty is trying to maneuver yourself so you don't get burned. And because that, you know, it, it hurts the creativity if all of a sudden you're, you're angry at people. You, you gotta be focused on just doing the best job and all that good stuff. That's probably, probably it. Okay, Evan, do you think of specific actor, actors when you write your scripts? Always. Uh, I find it much more, uh, much more uh, helpful to think of specific actors because that uh, makes their dialogue come into focus, the rhythms and the particular voice of the dialogue comes into focus more. It makes the physicality comes into, come into focus more. I mean, obviously, if you're working in a sequel, you already know who's going to play the part. But I'm talking about originals. I'm talking about anything, even new characters. It, it always helps you to write with a character in mind. Now I mentioned for the unholy, we cast a totally unknown actress. Funny enough, that part, I didn't have anybody in mind because I, I knew that the part was gonna be difficult to cast because it's, it's basically a 16 year old, but in order to get full days, you're gonna be casting somebody who's over 18. That's purely a business consideration. Um, and there are very few star young actresses at that age group. So you know you've got a, a wide field to explore. So that, that part was actually a blank and Cricket came in and filled it. But yeah, um, it helps me a lot writing for specific actors. Okay. So would you advise young people, young artists in Greece to pursue a career in America or 
would you advise them to stay in Greece and try to do something here? I Look, I haven't lived in Greece for a very long time, so I'm going to make a very general statement, but I can't imagine being able to pursue what you want to pursue in Greece. I just can't. Uh, knowing what I know about, knowing what I know about the level of the industry, the level of the ceiling that you have, and also the weirdness of sometimes, like I'm told from Ftikia, for instance, well, you don't get paid when you rehearse. And from actors who have appeared on TV, you don't get paid when you're shooting the show, you get paid when the show starts airing. Yeah, that's that's insane. Uh, and I don't understand how you can make a living doing that. Um, but Yeah, there is a limit. There is a sky, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it depends what you're trying to pursue. For example, if you're trying to pursue writing, you better make sure you can write very, very, very good English if you're trying to be a Greek writer who moves to the States and is writing in, in English. Uh, if you're an actor, I, you got to be able to lose that accent because it limits you unbelievably. And I have way too many Greek actor friends whose only jobs here are basically mobsters and terrorists. Uh, because once you hear that accent, you think Russian. You don't think Greek. Um, yeah, you typecast them. You're right? completely typecast. Exactly. Uh, if you're but it's not, the same here. But it's the same here. Like you, it's not about like the accent. It's about like how you look. Sure, but the especially like is, in let's television. Say, let's say you are the most. Let's say you're a male actor and you are the most sensitive-looking person in the world who wouldn't possibly be convincing as a mobster. The minute you hear that accent. At, in America, I don't know how to cast you. Like, you usually, you would play the romantic lead, let's say, in Greece. What are you going to play here? Uh, you'd have to explain that the romantic lead is from the Balkans. It, it creates a whole different avenue of, I don't know how to cast somebody like that. Um, now, if you're working in a technical art, such as editing, cinematography, we've got great cinematographers, music, um, you know, costume design, set design, yeah. If you've got it, come on over. Uh, if you've got the chops, come on over. You're, there's no language barrier in those arts. Okay. So are you thinking of coming back to Greece at some point? Or um, Well, professionally, no. Um, I mean, stranger things have happened. But, but what's going on now in Greece is after a very long period of kind of not being open to foreign productions, Greece is open, which is awesome. And everybody here is really excited. Mm -hmm. So if, if circumstances lead to a movie of mine being shot in Greece, I would absolutely love that. Uh, the beauty of it is it's not just shooting Greece for Greece anymore. Like uh, I was recently told that an Antonio Banderas movie shot over the summer, yeah. Greece was Miami. They recreated certain areas of Miami in Greece. That's what you want. That's exactly what you want. Like when we shot Hercules in Budapest, we created ancient Greece in Hungary. And um, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Bulgaria, Serbia have opened, had opened their borders for a very long time, not to shoot these nations as those nations, but to shoot there and recreate something else. Two years ago, uh, the producer of Unholy did a movie called Crawl, which was about an alligator loose in a small Louisiana town. The entire town was built in Belgrade studios. They built a little, Louisiana town in the back lot right outside Belgrade. That's what you want. Okay. And last but not least. Okay. Here I go. <laughs> so when you decided to continue, like to start with the screenwriting, did you 
have people to support you your parents were there for you and did your like family was 100% like there uh, yes. and believing in you and so here's what made something the, that yeah here's what made a very big difference and here's the tricky part you know we always say pursue your dreams we always say don't take no for an answer every animated movie ever made is probably the theme is probably follow your dreams. The problem is that's not always accurate. There needs to be like a balance between follow your dreams and reality. And for instance, what if you suck? I mean, do you follow your dreams when you have no talent and no possibilities? And I think that's of course a path to tragedy and disaster. So what I what I tell people is you have to have you have to step back away from your work and listen to what people say. And you're always going to get your family to say, oh, you, you're really good. You're the, you're the most beautiful baby in the world. And you're super talented and everything. You nah. didn't have that. Well, no. let, me, let, me, let me go to the point. Most, yeah. times, most times, you have friends and or family who will say good things. What you want to do is listen to strangers. Like if you give, if you're a writer, I'll just speak from experience. And you send a script to a producer when you're an unknown. And the producer comes back and goes, it's not for me. It's not at the level it should be, but I gotta tell you, there's a lot of potential here. You gotta, you gotta keep working on it. You need to accept that. Believe that the good things that person said are true and work on it. If they came back and said, I'm sorry, it's not for us, period, because they're not gonna tell you you're a horrible writer, go away. They're just gonna say it's not for us. You need to balance the, the rejections and what do these rejections have to teach me? Do the rejections mean I don't have it? And if I don't, then you've got to back away and find something else. If the rejections are constantly peppered with encouragement, then you've got to take that, follow that, and hope that you reach a level of skill at some point to succeed. Now, I did, to, to answer your original question, I had the full support of that. Yes. So it was a point where basically I had come to the States. I was an undergraduate in political science. And I basically told them, I want to switch to movies. And they were like, okay. Now it wasn't like, yes, go for it. But it was like, okay, if that's what you think you should do, then do it. But we always felt that there was a kind of, there was a kind of uh, um, limit to, hey, take five years and let's see what happens. And fortunately within that five-year period, Disney hired me and the rest is that. If I didn't have their support, I don't know, frankly, how I would have done it because it was the support was not just moral, it was financial. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sure. And my last question. <laughs> so in a perfect setting, where would you go for dinner? Who would you invite? What would you order to eat? And what song would you play in the background? Okay. A uh, perfect setting would be on a Greek island, and I would actually pick my favorite, which is Rhodes, because I just want to be different. Um, okay. It would be, the menu would be the best of Greek cuisine, and as much as I love Taverna food, I'm talking about the best now, because a lot of really Michelin-level Greek restaurants have opened in the islands, and I'm a foodie. So it would be that with the finest poskofilero their, their winery has. Uh, I would invite... <laughs> I would invite, oh, I mean, I, the easy answer would be the cast of my last movie, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I would invite, first of all, 
my best, yes, my best friends, both here and in Greece, including uh, some actors that I particularly felt connected to from the movies that I've worked on. And um, is it too cliche to say Sinatra's uh, I did it my way in the background? <laughs> oh, it's perfect. Okay. There you go. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself. Yes, it was my way. How did you get into acting? What attracted you to this profession in the first place? So in the beginning, I, you know, I got into the university in Athens. I studied communication and mass media. And during, during my studies, I just woke up one day and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to become an actress. And of course, like my mom didn't support my decision because it was like out of nowhere. But that decision came from, you know, very, you know, at some point I realized that I wanted to live a thousand lives. And the reason, and and the only, you know, occupation I could do in order to live all these lives were actually was to become an actress. And I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, and, you know, I tried to find, I really tried hard to find a, a coach to help me get into an acting school here in Greece. But I couldn't actually find, I couldn't trust someone to help me get into the exams and get to the National Greek Theater School. And then I found like a teacher when, uh, that she told me that, you know, Madalena, the way you think is for the US, you have to go there. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it. So, you know, I like, uh, I found the school, the, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I went over to the course. I'm like, yeah, I like the school. And I just, you know, it happened. I went and I auditioned. And then I got, I got in and, you know, my whole life changed. And then, you know, this is how I moved to the, to the U.S. And I stayed there for seven years. And last year I came, I moved back to Greece, you know, because I want to see my family. And then I got stuck. That's, but, you know, it's good. Yes. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Well, when are you, yeah. when are you returning? Um, when are you unstuck? Uh, uh, to be honest, like things started like going really well here and really fast. Like the minute I got here, I booked like commercials, like one after the other. 
And then I booked like some, you know, two TV shows and, you know, I started working and I'm like, you know, I think it's better for me to get, to gain more experience because in New York, it was like a bit hard in the beginning it was like the accent. Sure. And then, you know, the, the O one, I got like two O ones, but then it was the green card. It was always something that I had to try to get. And, you know, auditioning was hard. Like I was going, I was going for like good parts, but it was something else that I was missing. So, yeah. So coming back, it was easier. It was, again, I started from the beginning, but because like the, there are like so many foreign films that started shooting in Greece, yep. I started auditioning for like Canadian films and American films. And, you know, I got auditions that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten in, in New York. So I think it's good that I'm here, at least for now. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the last thing you said about uh, getting auditions there that you wouldn't have gotten in New York is absolutely true. I mean, again, this is why it's awesome that the country is finally open to foreign productions. It's the opportunities. It's the experience of working with foreign actors, foreign filmmakers at the top of their game. And it's just, it's, it's like, uh, to put it in soccer football terms, it, you're a player in Greece and all of a sudden you're playing in the Champions League and you're getting experience from people that you wouldn't otherwise have met. Um, is there a part in theater or film or something that for you is the, the holy grail, the part you, you want to play uh, if everything fell into place? Right now? Even in the future, you're 60. Well, like, what is the role that you most admire or covet or something you'd like to do? And by the way, it doesn't have to be specific. It can be a type. It can be, I always wanted to play a super spy. I always wanted to play a nun. Okay, so there's something very specific in my mind right now. Um, a few years back, I watched the film, uh, The Three Billboards of Missouri, yes. with Frances McDormand. Yep. Okay, I fell in love with that film. I went to the movie theater three times, and I watched it like on my TV afterwards. And it was like, Francis, like the whole movie was perfect for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, when I get like into my 60s or 70s, it would be perfect. It would be like a dream for me to play like this part, like Francis McDormand part. Probably I'm not going to be that good, but it was like perfect. I totally hear you. That's a good choice. What's your favorite movie? Than, I'm going to say like something very romantic, Titanic. It's like, Titanic. Okay, it's like... okay, so if, if Leonardo DiCaprio said, hey, Madalena, let's go, we're shooting a movie, you're there, right? Of course, and Brad Pitt and like uh, all like these movie stars, of course, yes. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> but it was like, when you have like so many options, like then like you get stuck and you're like, no one comes to your mind. And like, yeah, your mind shuts down. Okay, is there a style of, of uh, theater or film that you prefer? Like, do you like musicals, comedies, thrillers, action? I'll say, uh, not comedy, maybe drama, like a uh, serial comic, serial comic, sure. and, yeah, drama, drama is like, I, yeah. Gotcha. Because I, I don't think I'm very comedian, like I'm not comedian enough, I'm more, yeah. 
you know, I'm more into like physical comedy than like I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes people who don't think they're funny are the funniest because uh, you know there's this there's a, the the comedy archetype is the straight man and the funny guy, and sometimes the straight man is funnier than the funny guy. It's yeah, a, that's true. It's an old it's an old thing. It's like uh, Lauren Hardy, Abbott and Costello, all the comedy peers. One of them keeps a straight face. Yeah, that's true. So I have no idea. I, you know, I hope at some point I'll be able to play everything, like all the sure. all the styles and everything. I think this is a dream of every actor. I agree. Huge thank you for this uh, delightful uh, podcast. Uh, Thank you very much to uh, Madalena Papadatu, an actress for the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And uh, of course, uh, Lord Evan Spiliotopoulos, I had to say that. Uh, uh, Lord uh, Emperor, please, Lord Emperor. Uh, writer and director extraordinaire. Uh, thank you for all, uh, uh, all the memories and all the emotions you have given us, Evan. And I'm sure uh, Madalena will uh, We'll be watching you uh, all uh, starstruck uh, sometime. Thank you both. Absolutely. Our pleasure.